Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. Today we're discussing season one, episode five, The Situation. And we're discussing it by ourselves, by the way. We've had guests for the last couple episodes. Which was great. It was. And we just wanted you, our listeners, to know that every once in a while, Caleb and I just feel like doing one by ourselves. That's Back just how to the it's OGPP. Go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, this episode is not about Mike, the situation from <laughs> Jersey Shore. No, this is so I sad. don't even know if that's his name. I can't remember. But this episode originally aired on March 30th, 2010. It was directed by Michael Engler, who directed the previous episode. Back to back, Michael Whoa. Engler. And it was written by Becky Hartman Edwards. I believe this is the first episode yet written by a woman. Represent. Nice to have you, Becky. <laughs> that sounded sarcastic. I didn't mean it sarcastically at all. <laughs> uh, what did you think of this episode? I loved it, but of course I loved it. It was the introduction of Matt Mark Sear, and I love Mark Sear so much. That is very true. I was shocked. I don't know if I would have guessed he entered the series this early. Episode five. I know, before they resolved the Jim situation. I'm like, what's up with Jim? How, yeah, where is he? Yeah, how can she have met the perfect man when we don't know what has happened with, uh, you know, with, with old Jimster? But meet him she did. Yep. Uh, you know, there were two things just overall that really struck me about this episode before we pick it apart and <laughs> do a post-mortem. <laughs> um, one was that it seems like the show is really building on its own history now. Mark aside, I felt like there was almost nothing totally brand new in this mm. episode. I mean, the Katie Crosby paternity test stuff is all building on stuff that we've seen in previous episodes. Max playing baseball is a callback to a previous episode. Steve and Hattie, we already had a whole episode about them being together. Uh, Julia's relationship with Sydney and Raquel and Harmony, that is all something we've seen set up previously. So very few brand new story elements. That's a good point. I think that is a good thing because it really now feels like, okay, we're in it. We're going. The second thing that struck me is that there's lots of overlapping of characters in different storylines in this episode. They aren't confined to their own plot lines. Like Sarah has the Mark and Amber situation, but she's also a big part of the Adam and Drew storyline. And she's part of Crosby's storyline. And Adam has his thing with Drew, but also with Hattie and Steve. Julia has her thing with Sydney and Raquel, but also a big role in Crosby's storyline. So no one is kind of in their own lane. They're all kind of bleeding into other plots. I hadn't thought of that, but you're absolutely right. And I found it delightful to see, you know, different characters, uh, chemistry together. Like, I thought Sarah with Crosby was so much fun. It was really great to see them have, you know, some just time alone. It was really great. Not as smoking hot as Sarah and Adam, but, you know, still <laughs> really <laughs> really sweet it was almost a relief from the sexual tension <laughs> i know i'm like oh finally just siblings who feel like siblings <laughs> <laughs> well i feel like while the big highlight of the episode i think is the introduction of mark i feel like if i were to say like what's the a story i think it's probably actually crosby's yeah i think that's probably true we get some resolution to some things and i thought it was really beautifully done i right off the bat in this episode i wrote down still feeling pretty bad for katie i mean when they're in the doctor's office it seems like oh my gosh how far is this gonna go can how far can you lead this poor woman on 
this is not a joke anymore or like, oh, I let things get away from me. And yet I did get a sense for the first time, sort of, that maybe the reason Crosby was doing this comes from a semi good place that it was like he thought he might lose her. And so he's just he wants those three years as a cushion to get things sorted out rather than because he doesn't want the kid at all. But still, mostly it's just like, what are you doing? You know, I had this weird moment mid-episode where I erased the note that I had and replaced it with like a completely opposite note. It was when Katie showed up to Crosby's boat to say, hey, you weren't at work today. Um, You usually come in. And I typed, she is so direct with him all the time. And I respect that. I love that. Then midway through their conversation, I erased that note and I said, actually, I wonder if this isn't a little bit emotionally manipulative. Um, It was weird. I went, woo, like full circle because I I usually do. Like I've said many times on the podcast, I I, was team Katie. I thought she was right. And for the first time I started to see, oh, this is a lot of pressure on Crosby. Like the fact that they had come up with this plan for three years And then she's just kind of like, I'm on your side, right? The doctor freaked me out too. But, you know, we're in a good place, right? What does it matter if we do it now instead? And I thought, ooh, okay, maybe for the first time I'm kind of starting to see where Crosby's coming from. The moment he says, okay, let's do this, then it gets shifted and moved. I didn't change my mind and now think Katie's a bad person or anything. I was just like, oh, they are just coming at this from such different places. They want different things. They, they should just break up. And I think they did. Um, so <laughs> spoiler alert, just yeah. for the end of the episode, episode that you already watched. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's yeah. a good point. I mean, I agree with you that it, I don't think it ultimately like tips the scales, but I felt a similar thing. Although I still think she was, I think within that conversation, she did qualify it a little bit. We can stick. Oh, she said, like, of course, I'll honor our original Mm -hmm. agreement. But then she goes on to propose this other thing. But it also I think it might feel like more pressure because we're seeing everything else that is weighing on him. And he hasn't shared any of that with her. So as far as she knows, his life is just cruising along the same as it always was. And so if he does feel a lot of pressure, it's largely his own fault. Yeah, because maybe she would put less pressure on him if he told her what was going on. Well, and if she, if he loved her enough to like let her in on what's going on in his life and she could be almost a stepmother, you know, at some point to Jabbar, maybe that would even... Oh, I thought you meant to him. Oh, <laughs> that too. No. <laughs> but like some sort of stepmother figure to Jabbar, perhaps that would even help. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that that would negate her desire to have a child of her own, but... Maybe, you know, that would make her feel like some sort of familial, you know, it might help her to wait another couple of years if she's got a, a child around in her life. And, you know, it's just to me, the whole storyline shows that, yeah, I mean, you make a good point that maybe he was afraid to lose her, but I really don't get why, because as much I feel like you and I are much more enamored of Katie than Crosby ever was. We're like, what a catch. And he's like, mm, yeah, so I don't know. Well, I found Julia's voice in this whole situation to be eminently practical. <laughs> hey, did you take the test? The test? The paternity test? That oh, one? right, right. Okay, did you at least tell Katie about Jabbar? No, it's a bad time for her. Her follicles are overstimulated. Adam, you knew about this whole Jabbar thing? You didn't tell him to get a paternity test? 
It's his life. I figured he'd get around to it when he was ready. But he's a child, so... She makes a really good point, Adam. You might have dropped the ball on this one. Crosby, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm really... You have to get the test. Yes. Uh -huh. There are serious financial and legal ramifications. You know, sometimes you sound so much like a lawyer. <laughs> it's cute. It's funny that Crosby is like, yeah, I am a child. <laughs> and yet it also makes me think, at what age does that stop being funny? Like yeah. you being aware of it doesn't make it okay. Yeah. I take no responsibility for anything I do. Isn't that hilarious? Not really. Time to grow up. <laughs> well, I, I was trying to figure out how old he was. And I think I've got it because in the pilot, Sarah says we're 38 to Jim. So she's 38, which is several years younger than Lauren Graham was at the time. But <laughs> she's Lauren Graham. She looks <laughs> much younger. And uh, but but I think Dak Shepard was playing his own age, which was 35, because when they're talking about the paper, you know, um, the Sound and the Fury paper, uh, Crosby makes a throwaway joke about how he copied that paper three years after Sarah wrote it, which makes me ah. think he's three years younger. So I was like, I think he's 35 playing 35. Um, <laughs> I did too much research, maybe. or I don't know. But anyway, I thought, yeah, 35 is pretty old to be like doing my laundry at my parents' house. And, yeah. You know, just I'm a kid. I don't know. Like, that was really bizarre. I wrote down and I forget what specifically prompted me to write this down. But I put Crosby's treatment of Katie has, for me, crossed the line from frustrating to unconscionable. <laughs> and maybe it was her planning to go off birth control or yeah. something. It was like, you have got to say something. You can't do this. It's not cute anymore. No, he puts it off to the last possible moment, I feel like. And uh, can we just talk about that scene? I have a son. What? I, ha I have I have a son. I had a fling five and a half years ago with his mother, and a month and a half ago, she moved back to Berkeley and introduced me to him. His name's Jabbar. Um. Wow. I'm really sorry. I didn't tell you about it. You know, I was just uh, trying to get to know him, and I didn't know when was, the right time. Was this the little boy that you brought to the studio? Yes, that was him. He didn't introduce him to me. No, I, I did not. I didn't introduce him to you. You know, it was, it was confusing. I don't know. Well, what I'm, I'm sure it was confusing, but you've also been sneaking around and hiding him and and keeping him from me for over a month. I'm sorry if I didn't month. tell you right off the bat, but you know, you've been a little bit psycho. Oh, with this psycho! Whole baby that's thing. what you call wanting to have a baby, is because I thought that was something that we both really wanted. I didn't mean to. No, use you know, the... I can't keep pushing you. It's not fair to either of us. Ugh. Well, the line delivery of you didn't introduce him to me broke my heart. I was just like, God, it's a real testament to this actress, like just this very short stint on a show. And I just thought I just felt for her so much. And I don't know. What are what are your thoughts? I also broke my heart. And ugh, that little moment of pushback from Crosby, I thought was so ugly. Yeah. And felt really harsh. Like, you should be j just throwing yourself on her mercy right now. Because you are so in the wrong. And she's so, not even in the right. She's just innocent. Yeah. The only little bit that I felt, like, against her is when she said, I thought that's something we both really wanted. No. A little bit of me was like, open your eyes. You think <laughs> you were both equally on board with this plan? 
but he's way more wrong. And he did agree. You know, he was indicating that he was on board. Yeah. And I, and I so like, sometimes you just really end up mistreating someone, even if you maybe didn't have the intention of doing it. And there's, there's just no going back in time and fixing it. And I think that she's that for him. I'm just like, yeah, you totally bungled that and it's never going to be right. Yeah. That's, that's so well put. Um, everything you just said, cause that for me too, that was the moment that I thought, Ooh, yeah, this is not something Crosby wanted. And, and it's so obvious to us, but yeah, seeing it from her point of view, maybe it's harder to tell cause he was never really forthright with her. Yeah, he was trying to put it off, you know, like um, he says five years and she's like, I'll give you three. But yeah, why would he agree to something in the first place? Like, I just that's the thing I never got. I'm like, why did you make that deal ever? Sometimes people are selfish, I guess. You know, I think he liked having her as a girlfriend. I think maybe it was just going faster than he was ready for. And, you know, if they were 10 years younger, maybe I would have been on Crosby's side. Maybe I would have been like, what's the rush? A little backstory for me is my husband and I got married on our nine-year dating anniversary, and I thought I wanted to get married maybe earlier than we did, although... Maybe. <laughs> I definitely did. But <laughs> in hindsight, I think we got married when I was really emotionally ready, if that makes sense. Like, I think early on, it was more superficial. Like, my friends were getting married, and, you know, I was like, when's it my turn? You know, it was not really the right way to approach marriage. And I think maybe in some ways, Mark was actually being more like long-sided, not short-sided. <laughs> you know, he was he was able to kind of see into the future, maybe a little bit better than I was, that we needed to like work on ourselves and figure some shit out first and, and be adults. And so it's interesting, even though it took longer than I would have liked, now I think it was right. I say all this because I don't want to come across when I talk about Katie and Crosby as though I think it's fair for like women to or anyone, you know, I don't mean to be gendered here, but to, to give your partner a like an ultimatum. I don't think that's fair. Um, I, I think that you should both decide what your goals are, what you want. It just felt in this case like it makes sense for Katie because she wants a baby and she wants to give birth to that baby. And there are certain realities about a woman's body and she was willing to do it on her own, you know. And so for me, all of that means that I, I see where she's coming from and I didn't think she was just trapping him or something. And I thought he was the one who wasn't being fair. If I had to diagnose what I thought their problem was, I think it's that Crosby wanted their situation to just stay exactly the same. Yeah. I don't think he actually, I mean, I certainly don't think he wanted a baby with her, but I don't think he even necessarily wanted anything more serious. Whatever level of serious they were at, I think for him was the exact right level of serious. Yeah. And she wanted something more. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if you guys are not agreeing on what you want, then you need to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Elsewhere in Crosby's life, he has this issue of the paternity test. I want to get a paternity test, you know, for Jabbar. What? Well, I'm just, I'm trying to make some big life decisions and uh, my little sister who acts like she's older than me, but isn't. Anyway, she's a lawyer and, mm -hmm. and she says that I should know for sure. So you think I'm lying? No, 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 no. I, I just need to know exactly what my, um, what does she say? Exactly what my responsibilities are financially and legally speaking. I didn't introduce you to him to try and hit you up for money or to pull some scam or whatever it is you and your sister think I'm up to. I just wanted my son to know his father. That's all. Yeah, I don't, 
listen, I'm, this was a mistake. Yeah, can, it was. Yeah, can we just rewind and forget? No, about you know what? This Actually, you just need to go. Okay. okay. All right. Look, hey, wait. Jabara and I are are Jabara and I still on for the zoo tomorrow? I don't think so. You don't think so. Oh man, I feel like within the context of the whole episode and her second conversation with Crosby, I kind of like it just because it feels so real. Obviously, she was offended in the moment, and when she had some time to process it, she no longer thought it was unreasonable. So I'll start there, because initially I was like, what? What? I, I just couldn't understand. I mean, she was so insulted, and and I tried to understand where she was coming from, but I'm like... You, you kept this from him for five years, and then he asks for a paternity test after, you know, spending some time with him. Maybe it was worse that he did it after spending some time with him, you know. Uh, but anyway, I, I kind of thought she was being unreasonable at first. So I was really glad for how the whole thing resolved, and I felt much better about it later. But in that moment, I was like, oof, I, I don't know. What, what did you think? Uh, similarly, like, I thought... While I think Julia is technically right that it's a totally reasonable thing to ask for, I totally bought Jasmine's reaction. Yeah. Now, on one hand, it seemed out of proportion, but on another hand, it's like, I'd be insulted too. Yeah. After a month and a half, what now is making you question me or him? You know, this is just such a Crosby learning lessons <laughs> episode. It is. And I think both with Katie and with this, you know, he hopefully is learning the lesson of you got to speak up right away. Yeah. If when she first told him, he had said, hey, you know, I think it's probably a good idea if we get a paternity test. I doubt she would have been so insulted. Yeah. But like you said, waiting almost makes it worse. And same with Katie. If he had said, hey, this old girl I had a fling with five and a half years ago just came back to town yesterday and told me I have a son. Maybe they wouldn't have stayed together. But I don't think Katie would have felt so lied to, so betrayed, so led on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Crosby probably feels bad about both those things. And hopefully with some reflection, he'll realize, (laughs) hey, I could have avoided both of these messes. (laughs) You know, it's interesting to see who he insults and who he doesn't in those situations, because um, I thought it was really interesting when when Katie is hurt, she kind of goes in. You know, she's like, you didn't introduce him to me. You know, I thought this was something we both really wanted. And Crosby's reaction is, you know, to call her psycho and not apologize, Um, which is, you know. But I feel like, you know, Jasmine maybe is stronger in some ways. And she just gets like (laughs) insulted and angry and lets him know that. And... It makes Crosby cower. You know, he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said this. Yeah, she's like, yeah, yeah, you should. You know, he was like, this is a mistake. And I thought. Yeah, it also, I think because it was about Jabbar, mm. it felt a little like, oh, you've awoken the lioness <laughs> who's like guarding her cub. Yeah. It's like you come for her kid. She is going to rip your head off because she's a fierce mother. Yeah. I thought that was so interesting. And I thought, you know. He doesn't call her a psycho, uh, which I think is wise. Um, but but I don't know. It was it said something, and I'm not even sure what it says exactly. But it says something interesting about maybe his level of respect for both women. Mm. I don't know. I, I just thought it was very telling that he was more deferential to Jasmine than Katie. It also illustrates a little bit 
the value of having something as dispassionate as like a legal agreement mm. or understanding in place. Because when she takes away Crosby's time with Jabbar at the zoo or whatever, it is like, ah, yeah, if you had some arrangement, then one parent can't punish the other one if they're angry by withholding time with their child. Yeah. I think sometimes we romanticize things that aren't romantic. Like in the past, people have thought like something unromantic about Mark and me is that we have separate checking accounts, like just totally separate banking. And a lot of people are like, oh, but when you're married, you share everything. <laughs> and we're like, we never fight about money. It's like the number one cause of divorce. And we literally never fight about it. You know, it's maybe not a very romantic thing to talk about, but it's very practical and it really does help. You know, it sets boundaries for us and, and we can each spend as we see fit and we don't have to have many arguments about it. And so I, I think that um, at first Jasmine was approaching this from a very emotional place, which makes absolute sense. She was caught off guard you know, again, Crosby waited too long and it already bonded with Jabbar. So it's like extra insulting. Um, and so I don't think her reaction was was wrong. You know, feel what you're feeling. But he was trying to approach it from like a more, you know, practical standpoint. She was like in a feeling place. And then later, I think they're able to find common ground. Also in this episode, all of Crosby's siblings <laughs> learn about Jabbar. All right, look, this is big news, okay? Crosby has a son. Shut up. I thought you were actually I'm serious. Me Listen to me. He has a five-year-old boy named Jabbar. There's no way you could make up that name. I'm serious. He has a little boy, okay? Since when? Since five years ago. No, since when have you known? Uh, a couple weeks. A couple weeks? Don't make it about the fact that you haven't known. How could you keep now. that from me? You're the worst liar in the family. He asked me not to tell anybody. And you actually did deal. that? I can't believe you've known you this. Get over it. You know now. I can't believe you didn't tell me. Don't hit me. <laughs> don't hit me that's really cute it also like you said it made me realize hmm i don't think we've had very much sarah crosby time just the two of them thus far i mean maybe none at all yeah and it made me really want it and then like three scenes later my wish was granted <laughs> did you tell katie mm, no 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 what about the can of sperm and Katie? And no, you got to tell her. Well, You're all no, grown up now. Yeah, there's no canister of sperm anymore. She wants my kid, like now. Then you're really going to have to tell her. Mm, I don't know. Crosby, you guys are talking about having a child and you have one already. You have to tell her. Look, what if I tell her and then she doesn't want anything to do with me? You got to leave that up to her, you know? You have to do the right thing. And then I was like, Sarah, you're speaking my language. It was <laughs> nice to have someone like voice exactly what I was thinking. I feel like she can say that to him because they're siblings. But it's like, she's totally right. You're totally wrong. Do what she says. <laughs> well, and it makes me remember, I think the pilot episode, Sarah has this line where she says, you're engaged. And I remember her, her delivery was so incredulous. And I thought it was a knock against Katie. And now with the context... <laughs> of this it makes me wonder if she was just like oh crosby you're not ready for this um you know and, and maybe it wasn't about katie at all but being like uh this is you're making a mistake because it's you <laughs> and i thought right yeah <laughs> well i love how she says you need to grow up julia says yeah but he's a child <laughs> there's this clear adam says man up <laughs> man yeah it's like crosby's journey <laughs> is clear if it wasn't before yeah you kind of already touched on this, but when Jasmine comes around at the end about the paternity test and everything, 
it was nice to see that a cooler head prevailed. Also, it was just nice to see, like I had been wishing in the previous episode, just a little glimpse of who Jasmine is. Yeah. Like Jasmine was in this episode, but Jabbar wasn't. Yeah. So she's not purely defined by him. There wasn't a big peek into who she is. In fact, I think her entire role was probably shot within a door frame. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> in this episode. But there's more there. And I hope we get to continue to see more. Absolutely. Well, and I thought, to Crosby's credit, he kind of took the first step, I think, when he brought over the toothbrush and said he had basically a choice between bringing it to her for Jabbar to use for his dental hygiene or, you know, give it to Julia's DNA guy. I think that really would have done a lot to soften me as well, because it shows that he doesn't actually doubt that Jabbar is his son. It's a technicality, which I think was good for for Jasmine to hear. And I think that's fair. It's not like he's accusing her of lying, which I think is how she took it. Um, And it's probably how I would take it. It makes sense. But it's, yeah, it's just a technicality. And so that maybe they can put some formal guidelines in place so that they both know what to expect. So it's a delicate situation. Yeah. And, you know, like we've said, and like she said, even though she's not asking him for money, she deserves money. She really (laughs) does. She maybe should should, ask for money. He should, even if they didn't do like back pay, now he needs to start, if nothing else, now he needs to be contributing. Yeah. And like, if he's going to have a relationship, I feel like the financial burden can't solely be on her. It makes sense if he doesn't know, but anyway, but like you said, it's technicality, but it's a important one. I think so too. As Julia pointed out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I love that moment where Crosby is on the phone with Julia and he's like dumping everything on her. He, You know, the well, Jasmine's mad at me and now Katie's going off birth control. And she's like, I'm not entirely sure how all of that is my fault. It's, just, <laughs> it's a lovely little sibling moment I enjoyed. Well, speaking of Julia, she probably has the smallest story in this episode. This is really tiny, but I noticed at the beginning of the episode, she called Joel Babe. And I think she has done that several times. So I feel like it's a little trend between them. And it made me think, you call your husband Babe. That is our, for whatever reason, designated like affectionate term for each other. We always just say Babe to each other. I once wrote like a short story, which is not what I do. You know, I'm a poet. But um, I teach creative writing at the high school level. And my students wanted to see something I'd written. And I was like, okay, it's not great. And they, I, I shared it with them. They read it. And they were like, most most of them were like, oh, that was really good. They were like, but the, the couple called each other babe all the time. It was just too much. And I was like, oh, that was probably me just, boop, you know, putting my own situation. Writing what you know. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the little scene of Julia and Sydney putting on makeup together at the mirror uh, revealed something really nice between them. I mean, even though they've had scenes together before, this felt like the first time I saw a really believable mother-daughter connection between them. Like Sydney's mannerisms felt really matched to Julia's. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I totally buy that you're her daughter. And whether that's just it was well cast from the get-go or if Savannah Page Ray was like intentionally mimicking her, I I don't know. But it felt like it was a little scene that spoke volumes to me. I loved it. I especially thought it was sweet because... Um, I feel like that's kind of a debate. Again, not a parent, so I don't know. But I feel like sometimes parents, uh, especially mothers, tell their kids 
no makeup yet. You're not old enough, you know? And I thought it was real sweet that, yeah, okay. You know, it's just, it's just for around the house and she's just kind of playing grown up, kind of maybe admiring her mom, doing it when her mom does it. I just love that. Yeah. I really kind of related to Julia over her shame over not being spontaneous or wild. It makes me like a kind of sad and a little bit angry. I am not a wild, spontaneous person. I'm never out of control. But I feel like culturally, there is sort of this idea of what being fun loving is. And I kind of resent that that is like almost synonymous with just being reckless. Mm. I have fun too. I just, I find certain things fun. And like at the end when they go swimming, I'm like, does the threat of jail time or disbarment actually make the swimming more fun? And I think only if you're the right type of person does it do that. And if you're not that type of person, fine. Well, to me, it felt less about her needing to like relax and take it easy and take more chances. Maybe the real problem was that she wasn't confident enough in who she is, you know, because she's like, oh, everyone else is saying that I'm like a stick in the mud. I I worked too hard. I wasn't fun enough. And if she was just like, I don't care what you all think. I'm way more successful than any of you. And I'm (laughs) super happy and I've got a great marriage and a great kid. So take your complaints elsewhere. Uh, Then it probably wouldn't have even been a storyline, you know? And so that's really interesting. It's not just that she, because I don't think Joel would have taken her on that date if it was just based on her siblings giving her a hard time. I think it's because she's like, am I really not fine? You know, like, and maybe all she wanted was reassurance. Like, I love you exactly as you are. And then she would have been like, great. But instead, he's like, well, let's go break the law. And <laughs> maybe it wasn't what she wanted. The the jokes that he was telling about, you know, <laughs> like on our honeymoon. We, we went, went parasailing. Par- well, I went parasailing. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of this very funny, at least to me, interview that Lisa Kudrow did on Conan. First of all, listeners, you should know Lisa Kudrow is one of my like comedic soulmates. Like, (laughs) frankly, pretty much anything she says will make me laugh, even if it's not actually very funny. But this I thought was she's talking about going on vacation with her family and they went snorkeling. And she's like, I don't like it. And she says, well, for starters, it's not my world. (laughs) And Conan goes, not your world? What are you talking about? It's the ocean. She's like, yeah, but if if I was meant to be under there, then I could live without breathing. (laughs) She said, you know, we were all swimming out and swimming way out into the ocean. And and first I thought like, okay, I'm getting tired. (laughs) And then water was getting to my little mouthpiece. And so I'm calling to everyone like, I'm going to go back. (laughs) And then they all came back on land and like, oh, did you see the blue fish? And I'm like, yeah, I saw it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, that would totally be me. Yeah. Just like, yeah, I saw it. It's a fish. Whatever. They've got them in the aquarium where it's air conditioned. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm fascinated by the different things that satisfy people like the things that they crave in their lives and some people do crave adventure you know um i'm not i don't think really one of those people i do love travel but that's different from adventure in my mind because i don't like i would never bungee jump or or something like that i would like to see the world but i would like to have an itinerary you know i would like to know (laughs) what i'm doing each day um 
See, and I might bungee jump. That sounds kind of fun. What? Really? Oh, yeah. man. Not me ever. But that's interesting. Although I would not go snorkeling. <laughs> Just, you know, we're all individuals. <laughs> we are. Well, and like another way that we're all very different is some people, you know, the whole reason they might have an affair is sort of the thrill of that. And I am very... <laughs> the opposite of that. Like I crave security and, and safety and love, you know, I don't really crave like, Ooh, <laughs> scandal. And so I don't know, it helps me understand characters like Crosby versus Julia, you know, like I think Julia got married very young, it seems, and, and got her career started very young. She obviously seems to crave security. Someone like Crosby has had tons and tons of girlfriends, is really reluctant to settle down. I, I don't get the sense it's because he's like a bad person. I mean, I even think when he was not being fair with Katie, I don't think he's a bad person. I think that maybe confrontation freaks him out. I think yeah, he's just not mature enough to deal with his feelings head on. But I don't know. I think that's interesting when you look beyond just their storylines and like try to figure out what kind of people they are that create those storylines. I find it so compelling and believable because I know Julia's and I know Crosby's, you know, and it just I buy it. It is weird too the way that you it, it would seem self-evident that people are different, but the way that you like learn those lessons yourself. Right after my sister got married, she and her new husband moved to Connecticut, which was, and so they were very close to me, but they were only going to be there for a year. She was a uh, athletic trainer, but for the year that they were in Connecticut, she just worked at a Lululemon. Yeah. And I thought, how can you just be working in retail? Like, isn't that so unfulfilling? And why don't you do what you studied to do and be a trainer and... And I realized me, someone who does work that I'm very passionate about, it's kind of the center of my life. My world revolves around my work. She's not that way. That is not what her world revolves around. And when I asked her one time, she said, well, we're only going to be here for a year. In order to be a trainer in Connecticut, I would need to get a license in Connecticut, a license which I won't be using in 12 months. Yeah. And at the time, they were also starting to plan their family. I mean, so there were a lot of very good, obvious reasons to not do it. And then they did start having a family and moved and it was totally the right decision. I thought, ah, we're different. (laughs) You know, that reminds me, one of my cousins who's an engineer and very rich. I once asked him how he decided to become an engineer. And he said, oh, in high school, we had a career fair. And I just walked from table to table looking at starting salaries. And that was one of the highest ones. And I was like, whoa. And I didn't judge him for that. I still don't. I He... (laughs) you know, is very rich. I am not. Um, Wait, did you not go into teaching for the money? Oh, I know. I did. And I was mistaken. I like didn't see the decimal There's a rude awakening. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it was just interesting to note that he was primarily motivated by money as far as work goes. And I was primarily motivated by meaning, purpose, you know, like to me, the money, you know, is important. I need to live, but uh, secondary to loving what I do. And so, yeah, I I do think that's super interesting. And I guess, you know, bringing it back to parenthood, having these four different siblings with such different priorities and interests, you know, it's just, it's fascinating because they're all good people. I think they all have good hearts. I rarely think one of them is 100% right and somebody else is 100% wrong. Something I love about their conflicts, you know, I think that they are all 
making valid points. They just don't see eye to eye. And I love that. It feels so real. Yeah. Well, moving on to the other big story of the episode, which is all of Sarah's stuff. (laughs) This is a tiny thing to start, but when she gets mistaken for Hattie's mom at the beginning, I think maybe this is the first time we learn that Amber and Drew's last name is Holt. I took note of that too. And that we learn obviously what Seth's last name is. But the real headline here is Sarah and Mark and their chemistry. Chemistry? Yeah, chemistry. <laughs> That's a little guys and dolls shout out for any shomos out there like me. I thought you were gonna play a clip of them. <laughs> I am. Now oh. I am. But I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to get in a little nod to chemistry first. Chemistry. Yeah, chemistry. <laughs> That's great. You know, they have two scenes together, but I thought let's go with the first meeting. Okay. Yeah, nothing like college prep day to get me jones in for nicotine i know but standing under the breezeway chewing gum you know doesn't really have that like rebel feel well you haven't seen me blow a bubble yet oh yeah it's pretty cool so you have kids here huh did you have them when you were 12 <laughs> no i um i, I work here um mark sear 11th grade english oh i think i just gave nicotine gum to my daughter's teacher amber amber holt Sorry, we're working on the eye rolling. Attitude, <laughs> so, so there's no eye rolling. She's uh, Amber's actually one of my most engaged students. Really? Yes. What are the rest of them like? They're a bunch of drug-addled losers, <laughs> glazed eyes. No, no, they they're a good group of kids. You though, you have to see the paper that she wrote on the sound and the fury. You will be blown away. Are you kidding? No, it's really, really good. Ah. Um, wow. Yeah. I should probably go, though, oh. before the principal busts me. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for being Thank you. Nice to meet you. Oh, please be careful of the door. <laughs> First of all, I really hope that that was an ad lib, that he accidentally bumped into the door and then just said, it please sure be It sure seems like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I love him from, from minute one. I It's hard for me to even say what it is, but I... Even though his hair is disgusting. Disgusting. It looks <laughs> really? like either like he just showered or more so I think it looks like he needs to shower, that it's like greasy and stringy. Oh, I and like then he has that hair. like I have a beard even though I can't grow one look. But he's still totally adorable and lovable. Um yeah. Something about me is that it's it's really interesting, but usually when I find a character or a real life person adorable. Sure, I'm sure their looks factor in, I'm sure, but like it's almost always because of their personality, their their just charisma, I guess might be the word. But like he's so charming and their chemistry, I should not gush probably, but it's like some of my favorite chemistry I've ever seen in anything. So maybe other people think I'm overreacting, but I think Every time they're on screen together, they're just making each other laugh. It's that banter. It's like witty and intelligent. And it's like the other one continually is delighted that the other one is like right there with them keeping up. You know, I just love it. It makes me really happy. And, you know, I I know knowing you, you'll frequently remark on characters chemistry or actors chemistry. And I often would kind of wonder, I'm like, do I even really think that's a thing? Chemistry? It's like, well... Either they're both good actors or they're not. And like either that's well-written or it's not. Is there some undefinable little thing between them? I think I always kind of came down on, no, not really. And yet with them, I'm like, 
No, because they've got it. Whatever that <laughs> yeah. is, they so have it. Yeah. Not to say they aren't both good actors and that the scene isn't well written. I'm sure it's all of that too, but they do just seem so right in sync with each other. And I especially thought that cafeteria food exchange in their second scene, I was like, that is just electric. <laughs> I always eat out of ladles. <laughs> right. God, that's good. Yeah. And it made me wonder, is humor the real key to chemistry? Because because they seem like they share a sense of humor and like they genuinely make each other laugh and thus I'm like, oh, you're in love. <laughs> I think it's a key to chemistry, but I don't think it's necessarily the only one because another example of chemistry I think of right off the bat, and please do not judge me for this, but it's Nicholas Sparks. It's uh, Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling in The Notebook. Have you ever seen that? They're just both Canadian. That's not chemistry. (laughs) But like, they're really not very funny in those roles. I mean, there are little moments, I guess, here or there, but for the most part, it's much more dramatic and sweeping and, and, and like, with them, it's not that they're constantly making each other laugh. It's like you can tell that they constantly just want to make out, you know, it's just and and for much of the movie, there are circumstances keeping them from making out, which only makes the chemistry more palpable. And <laughs> so uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's like this elusive thing, though, that I think is really hard to define because I think sometimes real life couples, when they act opposite each other, it's very flat, like uh you know, Ben Affleck and Jennifer, uh, oh God, Jennifer Lopez famously had pretty bad chemistry, even though they were a couple. So it can't just be a matter of liking each other in real life, uh, loving each other in real life, being good actors, as I think both of them are. It, it is this very hard to define intangible They were thing. in a horrible movie though, weren't they? Yeah. I never saw it. I heard it was horrible. But. So like could Lauren Graham and Jason Ritter surmount a Gigli sized obstacle? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. Make a movie together and put it to the test. Let's find out. I know. We'll be first in line to see it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we'll bring it to you right here on Parenthood Pals. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it is funny though. Can you think of a couple that genuinely loves each other, but they don't make each other laugh? Oh, great question. Can you? No. I mean, it does seem like a prerequisite. Even if it's not the most important thing, it's like no one's going to choose to spend their whole life with someone who isn't fun to them, right? But what if both people aren't very funny and they don't really... But if they find each other funny. Yeah, that's true. Huh, yeah. You just got to match your terrible sense of humor with someone else's terrible sense of humor. Everyone thinks they have a good sense of humor. Don't you think that's true? Even if they're wrong. Well, that's from When Harry Met Sally. It is, it is. Everybody thinks they have good taste, but they can't actually all have good taste. (laughs) Uh, Well, that, uh, that first scene with Adam and Drew and Max playing catch... It's just precious. That's all I had to say about it. (laughs) I want to talk about that, too. So I love the Max, Drew, Adam stuff as well. My only thought that was anything other than awe, like during those early scenes before we get to the real conflict, was I was slightly worried that Adam was perhaps using Drew, you know, just to get close to Max. And then I thought, maybe it doesn't matter even if he is the, you know, the end result is that everyone's having a lovely time. And I think Adam truly does like spending time with Drew. I just don't know that he would have chosen to do it on his own if he wasn't getting something out of it. 
I also had a slight concern that he was enjoying the time with Drew because there was nothing wrong with Drew. Oh, yeah. But actually, hearing you say that and then my concern, I think those are probably both true a little bit. Yeah. And yet, I don't know that they are a problem necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think those are bad things that, like, bad thoughts or feelings that one can't keep themselves from having if they have them. Yeah. Who knows? I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a parent of a child with either a disability or a, a difference. A situation? With a situation. <laughs> and here's something where I think not having kids, it might really prevent me from understanding. Because I would think, wouldn't you, just as a human, have moments where you'd wish for their sake or selfishly for your own that things were easier and they were fine? And yet I remember my sisters and I would ask our parents things like, if we had been born with such and such, you know, would that have changed how you feel about us? And they both adamantly would say like, no, wouldn't make a difference at all. It just doesn't matter when they come out. It doesn't matter if they don't have a face, if they had six toes, if they had any kind of disability or deformity, like doesn't matter. It's your kid. You love them. And they were both so confident and they would never hesitate to answer. Like they didn't think it over. It was just like an automatic response. And now I don't think I've asked either of my sisters since they've had kids, but I feel like I know they would say the same thing. So I think that's maybe something I, I wouldn't understand until there is a child and it's yours. And it's like, whoever they are, you love them. (laughs) You know, my story um, similar to that is that once I was scared to tell my mom that maybe this is too personal, but that I'd had sex uh, for the first time. And we were in a pizza hut as, as all of our pivotal moments, it seems have, (laughs) have been. And my lead in was, is there anything that I could do to make you hate me? That's what I said. And I actually love my mom's answer. I don't even know if she'd remember this. She didn't just say, no, nothing. She thought about it. She got real serious and she considered it. And she said, maybe if you killed someone for no reason at all. And I said, okay, that's fair. It's not that. (laughs) So. Phew. Yeah. But yeah, it does make you wonder, like parents probably have ideas for their kids. You know, I mean, we would go to Pizza Hut after my dance classes, you know, which I took because she wanted me to be a dancer. And it took her some time to realize that wasn't me. And, you know, again, I, I think of that every time I think Max is out there playing baseball. That's the last time I mentioned that. And, and you know, it makes me wonder, does Adam want Max to be, you know, a, a certain way? And And I feel like he is doing a pretty good job of meeting his son where he is. Um, but it would take some time, I think, to adjust what your expectations had been to what they're now going to be. Yeah. But no matter who your kid is, you know, whether they are in Max's position or Hattie's position, you know, whether they're no matter who your kid is, it's probably the truth that they're going to be different from your idea of who they were. And it makes me wonder, can parents go into having kids with no preconceived notions? Like, is that even possible? That they're just like, I'm excited to see who this kid is going to be. I'm excited for them to teach me who they are and for me to learn about them. Because I actually think that would probably be the best approach. But that must be nearly impossible to pull off. Uh, That would be really hard. 
It's funny. One of my sisters, I remember before she had kids saying, you know, I'd be fine if I only had boys. And it wasn't that she preferred to only have boys. It was just exactly what she said. But she had a girl first and and a very girly girl. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, like you couldn't get her to say things aren't exactly the way they should be. Yeah. For like all the money in the world. She's like, oh, so glad I had this girl first because it's her and she's perfect. She's wonderful. And she is. That's sweet. Also in this episode, there's this little running gag of Steve just being a little overly familiar. And I I think it's always hilarious. Me too. Uh, Camille, this crisp is amazing. Do I send some uh, nutmeg? Yeah, Camille. What is it? Very good. Camille? Camille? It took me two years to call her that. I still can't. Can I call her Camille? No. no He's a keeper, huh? Hey, Cammy. <laughs> Cam, Cam, can we get a little vanilla ice cream go a la mode on this crisp? <laughs> So funny. I mean, I love Sarah's little, yeah, Camille, what is it? <laughs> Just her, her delivery is priceless. And then the cam cam. The cam cam was my favorite. That's fantastic. I like that Crosby was not satisfied with one joke. He had to do two. He was like, Cammy, cam cam. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I thought that was hilarious every time. Uh, my husband happened to walk through later in the episode when um max was about to get get very upset about yogurt land and when um steve is like you know i'll be happy to take him adam and mark was like is this kid nice and like i think he is i think that's the whole joke like everyone you know especially adam like kind of hates him but i'm like he seems okay (laughs) you know it's actually very sweet that he feels so comfortable yeah it's just a little off-putting or like when christina walks in while Hattie is like on the <laughs> webcam and she's got a towel on and he's like, his first response without skipping a beat, looking good, Christina. <laughs> Just no shame. And then she's like, Hattie needs to get off <laughs> of the computer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no problemo. He's just like, he is so go with the flow. Yeah. That it's like infuriating. I can relate to that, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because it's kind of like that moment where Christina and Adam both agree that they hate his parents, Um, you know, and it's it. It's not because they're bad people. It's because Hattie's always like, they're so easygoing and, you know, you should be more like them. I hate Steve's parents. I hate them. Yeah, me too. (laughs) And I really liked that. Adam had kind of just wandered in to that particular scene and didn't know really what precipitated her saying that. And yet he just hopped on board. Yeah. And I thought it was actually kind of a nice little like sign of their marriage. It's like, I don't know what, why you're saying this, but if you think it, I think it too. I'm on your team. It's like, good husband. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's maybe their most defining characteristic, actually. It's something that I simultaneously like about them and maybe even don't in some small ways. I mean, overall, my feelings about Adam and Christina are very positive. But, you know, never really thought about this until just now. I'm like having an epiphany. They're, they're almost indistinguishable from each other, you know, and, and I think that happens with some couples sometimes. And you could argue as to whether or not it's healthy, you know. I mean, they obviously seem to have a very good marriage, very strong. I do love that they support each other. But like, what are Adam's interests that aren't Christina's and vice versa? How important is it for couples to have their own sense of self and their own identity? And I think it could be so easy to lose that, especially when you have kids and it might seem like our whole lives 
are about these kids, raising them well. And sometimes it seems like that is Adam and Christina's whole life. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess in the last episode, we had that nice moment where they, they had sex. But even right after they had sex, Adam was like, can I nail Hattie's door, you know, or window shut? And, you know, she's like, I hope you weren't just thinking about that, you know. And <laughs> I don't know. It just It's a side note that something that's positive about them could also maybe be a little bit of a problem. Yeah. Well, after Steve's little <laughs> crisp inquiry, we get all the siblings discussing him in the kitchen in a scene which I think is just so nice. You know, we've, we've liked every scene with just the siblings before, and th- they keep getting better and better and more natural. And they keep adding a sibling. Like, this time Joel's in it, too. They keep yeah. just... Last time it was, like, the siblings plus Christina, and now it's the siblings plus Christina and Joel. I think he's sweet. He seems like a nice guy. No. Yeah. He does, yeah, right? He's cute. Definitely he's, cute. He's cute. He's really cute. Isn't he? No. No, 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 It's sick, okay? She looks at him like some sort of doe-eyed Disney character. Yeah, dude, that's what teenage girls look like when they're in love. She's not in yeah. love. Yeah, well, you're a moron. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Do you remember Sarah with Seth when she first met him? Oh, my God. Oh, I just loved your cover of In Your Eyes. Your solo totally kicked ass. The hair flipped. <laughs> yes. No, it's a flip. Oh, it's, it's a flip. Camille, this oh. crisp is so delicious. Is there nutmeg in it? He's just such a little... Little what? You know, seriously, if just one girl had actually had a crush on you, you wouldn't be freaking out. I did. Well, Crosby, you seem to forget about Lisa Ranford, who stalked me my entire junior year. I remember her sister, Judy, who I snuck into the merry-go-round with at Tilden Park. Oh, man, Mm -hmm. what a party. You hooked up in in the merry-go-round? Yeah, I hooked up on the merry-go-round. How could you focus? Weren't you afraid of getting arrested? You didn't hook up on the merry-go-round? Everybody hooked up in the merry-go-round, even Adam. What? Okay, well, my fear of jail outweighed my desire to hook up in a spinning cup. What are you saying, I squandered my youth? I was just a rule follower. I was just studying for stupid tests. I didn't say that, but I agree with that. I was just saying it was a good place to hook up. That trademark talking over each other and, and you know, these little moments of characters saying something that, like, feels so them and really adds to their development, it's perfect. I, I laughed out loud at Crosby's line. I didn't say that. I agree with that <laughs> because it wasn't mean. It wasn't. It was delivered thoughtfully, which I thought was such a good choice. <laughs> yeah, I also loved that once it's revealed that even Adam hooked up in the merry-go-round, then he and Christina are having this little side conversation <laughs> at the same time. She's like, "Who?" And he's like, "Doesn't matter." <laughs> yeah, or whatever. He's, but it's like, ah, they're just branching off on their own thing because it's caught her ear. Yeah. So right after that is when Joel reads some from the paper and Sarah realizes it's her. Were you taken aback by her calling Amber a bitch? Yes. I I kind of hated that. And maybe I shouldn't feel this way. Maybe I should feel like, no, it's just very realistic, very human. Probably parents do say that. But it just felt so harsh. And I, I guess maybe the point of that was so that we know just how hurt Sarah was by that, you know, like by having her words taken. But boy, yeah, bitch. It it almost felt harsher that she said it about her than to her. Maybe that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, it wasn't like she was just really angry and things were elevated and they were screaming at each other and they said things they regretted. Yeah, it was like her go-to, like her first reaction was, bitch. I know. You know, I I, I just kind of wish she hadn't said it. I feel like if she had just looked hurt and just read it and said nothing, then I feel like I would have been a lot more on Sarah's side. But even though Amber was the person who did something wrong, I felt very defensive of Amber because I'm like, don't mm, don't say that. Yeah. Look what I found in the attic. Oh, it's my old paper on the sound and the fury. 
Are you kidding me with this? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just that the book was so confusing, and oh, I just no. found that it was just laying there. And Mr. Sear is really, really hard. Oh, he's really, really hard. Oh is he? God. <laughs> <laughs> Now, have you you read the sound of the fury? Uh, yeah, right? I have not. I have. It um, is like notoriously. It's confusing, the hardest isn't it? book ever. Um, here's my history with the sound and the fury for anyone who is interested. When uh, so I was an English education major, and when I was in American Lit my sophomore year, we were all assigned a different book to read and write a paper over and present to the class. My book was the sound and the fury, and when I first started to read that book. I literally cried. I don't know how many times. Every time I returned to the book, I cried. I'm like, this... Because it was so moving? No. It was so frustrating (laughs) and hard. I had no idea what was going on. And uh, spoiler for The Sound and the Fury, it's intentionally difficult. Um, The first quarter of it is written from the point of view of Benji, who um, likely has autism, which I'm now thinking is a really interesting uh, choice for for the you know show to pick the sound and the fury. But his is very severe; he can't speak. It's his 33rd birthday. No one ever knows what he's thinking, and so the the his section skips around in time. And so you'll be with him when he's 33, and then it'll flash to when he's three, and then when he's seven, and then when he's 10. And there are no markers for this or anything; it just goes. To add to it. There are several characters with the same name. There's a Quentin who's a boy. There's a Quentin who's a girl. And I was like reading this and I was like, why does it sometimes say she for Quentin and sometimes say he? I was like, it was happy. I was so confused. And then, oh, and that's the book that taught me that Spark Notes exists, that Spark Notes exists because I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. And then weirdly, I finished the book. I felt prouder of myself than I ever had in my whole life because I I figured it out. And so then I decided I wanted all my students to have the experience of feeling frustrated, but then ultimately like proud of themselves. Like they'd actually accomplished something by just reading a book. And I thought, I'm not going to just assign it as an independent study like my professor did to me. We're going to be confused together, work through it together. And so I used to teach it in AP literature, And I could not get over the fact that Amber is in like a regular education class and he's just (laughs) teaching them like the hardest book ever. And I, it made me more sympathetic to Amber too. I'm like, yeah, maybe you would look for your mom's copy. I don't know. That's very hard. So anyway, that's my history with it. I haven't taught it in a few years, but I taught it. Do you think it's a good book? Um, you know, it's interesting. When I first was exposed to it, when I first started teaching it, I did think it was a good book. And I still do, but I feel like the older I get, the more wary I am of the classics that have such problematic things about them, like especially regarding race, you know, I, I, I have to just say, I don't think I can teach anything anymore that was like written by a white person that uses the N word at all. And this book uses it with alarming frequency, you know, and, and it just... And it's used mostly by characters who are supposed to be deplorable, which maybe is supposed to help. But I just I really struggle. And uh, I've, I've started just, you know, trying to teach more black authors and more authors of color and trying to cut out the things that I think could really harm a person. And so I'm a little torn. Do I think there's value in that book and, and reading it? Yes. But 
I no longer teach it because I try to make room on my syllabus for works that I think are more uh, important and powerful. So that that's where I am. Do you think the confusing aspects of the book enhance it? Or is it just frustrating? No, I think it absolutely enhances it. I think that's... Well, that's good. Yeah, I, th- I think... One of the real benefits to teaching that book was it really taught everyone close reading. And once I told my students, I'm like, you're all AP students and you are used to understanding things right away. You know, you you usually pick up on things immediately. This book is meant to be hard. It's meant to be confusing. It's how he wrote it. It's not you. It's not a fault of your understanding, but you do have to pay really close attention, maybe take notes about when certain things are happening. It's like clues trying to figure it out. Like if you can put together some sort of timeline of Benji's 33 years while reading this, that will really help. And I think that my students did find that element of it fascinating. Actually, the last two sections, there are four, are much, much easier and more straightforward. And I find them infinitely less interesting than the first two sections of the book. So it's everything people didn't even want to know about The Sound of the Fury, which, but... Hats off to you, Willie Faulkner. (laughs) He was my dad's favorite author, too. So I think that I've got, you know, some sentimental um, attachment to William Faulkner. Well, the way they discuss Sarah's paper, it seems like it was brilliant. That's one of the most original, insightful papers I've ever read. Really? Yeah. I mean, what she wrote about um, Caddy's evolution from a girl who loved climbing trees to promiscuous teen was really moving. You didn't find it uh, over the top or misguided like another teacher might? <laughs> I thought that was so funny and just like expertly delivered. You're like, ah, so she didn't even necessarily get a great grade on the paper, even though Mr. Sear thinks it's brilliant. Um, I loved that. Um, I do have to say that as someone who knows the book really well, I don't think that that um, description that Mr. Sear gave was particularly insightful. I'm like, that is what Sparknotes would tell you is the character of Caddy. Like, her whole thing is that she is this this innocent girl who loves climbing trees and then she becomes promiscuous and it's a huge plot point and by the way, she's never given her own chapter. She, We never hear her voice. The whole book is her three brothers and like how she's viewed through the lens of them. Well, you don't want to appropriate the female perspective. Oh, that's probably it. Yeah. One chapter was from the perspective of their black servant. But yeah, you don't want to. Eeks. Eeks. At least it's not first person. It's third. But uh, still. Yeah. Anyway. This leads Sarah to impose her own discipline on Amber. Well, what happened? I didn't tell him. Because he's so cool, right? No, not because he's so cool. Because he believes in you. And for some stupid reason, so do I. You better not let us down. I totally won't. You owe me a paper on the sound and the fury. Wait. And it better be original and insightful and moving. I thought that was excellent parenting. Saying that she's stupid to believe in her. Just (laughs) just kidding. Go ahead. Continue. No, but um, I mean, maybe she really should have insisted that Amber tell Mr. Sear or maybe she should have told Mr. Sear. I don't know. But sometimes I think, what's the point of moments like these, you know, of like Amber plagiarized? Why did she plagiarize? I think it's more helpful sometimes to try to analyze that. Well, she felt stupid. She wasn't understanding the book. She lacked confidence. Now, that doesn't excuse the action. It is still unethical. But, you know, I think that what Sarah is doing is getting to the heart of why her daughter felt 
desperate and felt that way. And the fact that she's making her write a paper for her, to me, does a lot of good because I'm like, well, maybe Amber does still need that break to have a teacher believe in her, but let's not let her off the hook. She still needs to, you know, write this paper. And then, you know, minor spoiler, later we find out that she does confess this to Mr. Seeger on her own and gives him the new paper instead. And the fact that she did that on her own instead of Sarah telling him or Sarah making Amber do it, I thought showed real integrity. And maybe that's like a fairyland and we can't expect that a student would voluntarily, you know, risk getting themselves in trouble. But it must mean a lot to Amber that her mom believed in her. And maybe she also was proud that her teacher believed in her and didn't want it to be false, you know? And so like, I thought it was kind of beautiful the reasons why Amber did what she did. And it wasn't just a punishment because Amber was being bad. You know, it was like a real growing experience. I, I think that's... Those are all really good points. Thank you. Well, as a teacher, I think about these things and I've read a lot that supports, you know, like if a student comes in tardy, that you shouldn't give them a dirty look or say something sarcastic, like nice of you to join us. You should say something like, I'm glad you're here, you know, welcome. And you know, if you lead with compassion when you teach and you build those relationships, you know, more good things are likely to happen and it builds more like intrinsic motivation to do the right thing as opposed to just because you want a good grade or, you know, those those ex- extrinsic things. So anyway. Have you ever had students plagiarize papers? Yes. <laughs> um, I hate it. it makes- How do you catch them? Um, usually they don't sound like themselves. Um, that's what I thought was so smart about this storyline is Mr. Sear wasn't being an idiot. Like it wasn't like she sounded like a Harvard professor. It was her mom's paper from when her mom was her age and he, there's no way he would have recognized it. It wasn't a student in the class or something, you know? So I loved that it, it wasn't him being dumb that he didn't catch it. And I'm sure I haven't caught students before, but usually they sound like a Harvard professor instead of themselves. (laughs) You know, they just sound like really suddenly they have a different voice and it's very easy to catch. You just type in a phrase on Google. Oh, there it is. And then you print it out and you highlight the parts and you put it in front of the student and you just look at them and you wait for them to say what they're going to say. And often, more often than not, they say to me, what? How did uh, how did that happen? What a coincidence. And I'm like, oh, no, what's happened? Just let's have a conversation about it. You know, you must have felt desperate. Did you feel desperate? I didn't do it. And I'm like, oh, this is hard. Uh, so anyway, that was a long answer. They really will deny. They will. Yeah. When the entire paper. <sighs> yes. Is. They will. Identical? Now, not all of them, but yeah, maybe 60% of the time, that's their go-to is to, to say that it's a coincidence. And then we have to have a conversation about, do you know what the odds are that word for word, this is exactly, you know. Um, so I like it better when they just apologize, you know, when they say, yeah, I felt really overwhelmed. I should have talked to you. I should have asked for more time. Um, you know, I, I'm sorry. This I just... I felt backed into a corner and, you know, I take no pleasure in any of this, you know, I, and, and I think I've taught 14 years, the longer I've taught, I think the more compassionate I, I am. And I really try to let students know that they should come talk to me if they're struggling or if they're not sure what to write or if they're having trouble understanding the book. And I think they do feel mostly comfortable. And so I really loved that Amber felt comfortable talking to her teacher and that he accepted the paper that was really hers and who knows maybe it was for half credit or you know something like that but I thought it was wonderful that the point wasn't 
now he's mad at her. He's got a grudge against her because she messed up. She lied. You know, he seems like a really compassionate teacher. It's something else I love. Do you let the plagiarists write the paper again or are they just failed? You know, in the past I didn't. I said that the consequence was a zero with no chance to revise. But again, the longer I teach, the the more my philosophies of all kinds of things change. You know, I, I understand the importance of representation in ways that I didn't used to. And I think I understand the point of redemption more than I used to, you know? And, and so I think... Uh, Lately, I've been letting students revise, maybe for like half credit. You know, I think there should be a consequence. Uh, but, you know, I think the conversation is really important. Like, why did you do this? And I want them to feel like their words have value. I think so often it's not just about laziness. It's a lack of confidence. They don't think that they can say anything smart. You know, they don't think they have anything to say about the works. And I want them to know that they do. And so I think that's more important to me than they learn their lesson and I shake my finger at them and tell them they're bad. I just think you're getting soft. Everyone does. We talk about it all the time. <laughs> <Do you? laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> well, <laughs> Who would I talk about it with? <laughs> I call up your colleagues at the school. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Melissa's gone soft? Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh. <laughs> so. Well, here's a tangent. Just a random <laughs> little exchange I thought was funny. Hey, kiddo. What are you reading about? Stink bugs. <laughs> Just like, it was like, there you have it, pops. React to that. Like, it reminds do you think me- we were going to bond? We're not. <laughs> It reminds me of um, The Catcher in the Rye, where Holden's reading a book and the kid who lives next door to him comes in through the shower curtain and um, asks him what he's reading. And Holden's answer is, goddamn book. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) these are are meant to be conversation enders. (laughs) What did you think of Hattie and Steve's fight? I thought Steve was 100% right and Hattie was 100% wrong. And it's, in fact, one of the only times I've ever felt that way about a parenthood fight. So that's really weird. But what did you think? Oh, I mostly just thought that it was so stupid <laughs> that they were fighting over it. Because I, mean, I, I was like, I get that teenagers have silly fights. Uh, the writers were probably trying to depict that they're fighting over something that couldn't matter less. Yeah. But... It just seemed to me like they couldn't have had an argument over something even slightly more substantive than, I like that movie, you didn't. We're breaking up. <laughs> what? But I saw, I don't give a shit about Love Actually. It's just like, <laughs> that's the subject of a relationship ending fight? Well, maybe when you're 15, you know, like her saying, he's just not who I thought he was. <laughs> Would have not been as funny if it had been about a more important fight. I guess it's supposed to be funny. You're right. It was. But, you know, I think maybe that's why it's so crazy that I had such a strong opinion because Steve said things to her like, I'm insensitive because I have my or I'm a jerk because I have my own opinion and it's different from yours. And she's like, get out. And I'm like, (laughs) Steve's right. He should be able to disagree with you. And maybe, maybe... I didn't get the whole thing. If he's like making fun of something she loves, I would feel like that's totally different and that's not respectful or okay. But if she's like, oh, isn't this the best movie? And he's like, I didn't love it. And she's like, you're not who I thought you were. Then yeah. (laughs) 
Now, I did think it was really funny, Adam and Christina's varying reactions. Oh, crap. This might be the best moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's so I thought good. it was great. I will say that when Hattie and Steve make up and she says that, you know, Steve had an epiphany about the movie, whatever, he probably just realized it's not worth it to fight about this. But the relationship that she heralds from that movie, do you know what relationship that is? The adulterous one where the guy shows up behind his best friend's back. Yes! Telling his friend's wife how desperately in love he is with her. That's messed and up. And saying, don't tell anyone. Yes. But I'm like, you know what? I buy that a 15-year-old would think that was love like, and think that's super romantic. I probably would have if I'd seen that movie when I was her age. So, But yeah, I thought that was like, oh, that's telling. <laughs> Hattie has misguided ideas of what a relationship <laughs> should look like. And it is perhaps echoed right now in this fight. So, okay. You know, I bet Amber didn't think that scene was romantic. Probably not. Mm. Lauren Graham is just on fire comedically in this episode. <laughs> like I didn't mention earlier, and we can't really play it, but in the scene where she's having lunch with Crosby, she's like, why didn't you tell me that you had a kid? I mean, and she does this little like, here I am gesture <laughs> of like, I'm the other mess in the family. Come to me. But then I loved when she was bringing in groceries through the door and she says to her kids. No, thanks. I got it. <laughs> just such a little tossed off. Uh, it was so funny. She's the best. Oh. Oh. Melissa. Yeah, Caleb. I have news for you. Oh. Hello. Are you crying? I had my first cry. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> if that wasn't obvious. It was. But is that what we're going to use? Because that makes me so happy. <laughs> it's really long. No, it's my first cry of the podcast, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> happy tears. But you, you've cried already, right? I did. I cried at that swimming montage. I don't know yeah. why. Well, I cried. And it wasn't a huge... I wasn't sobbing. But I was definitely crying at this. He's not the only kid who has been dealt a rough hand. I know. All Drew has done his whole life is sit around and wait for his father to show up. Wait for him at school. Wait for him after soccer. Wait for him on whole weekends that were his weekends to take them and he would never show up. And the last thing he needs is another half-assed father figure. Uh, and just like, what is there to say? I mean, I think Sarah overreacted. <laughs> in the moment, but I totally understand why she did. And I think the fact that she did reveals so much yeah. about a time in their life that we haven't seen. Just so well performed. Got the tears rolling. No, I can. Uh, yeah. What, what a beautiful moment. And I thought it was so believable. What a good idea for Sarah to think that Adam's choice to take Max to Yogurtland was like selfish on Adam's part. And, and who cares if you go to Yogurtland? Her not having a kid with, you know, who's on the spectrum, like she would not understand that because her kids, I think, would have reacted much more under, you know, they would have been like, yeah, okay, we, plans changed, fine. But Max really cannot handle that and that is something adam knows that the people in his life don't get yeah his response was equally moving he's like i would have loved yeah. to have done that yeah. you have no idea Ugh, it was really good again it's just 
you see where each person is coming from and they're coming from a different place. But yeah, neither one of them is all right or all wrong. There's one more little Mark and Sarah scene in this episode where he goes to the bar. I loved that. To get a drink from her. Now, do you agree that she carded him just to find out what their age difference was? Yeah, it was a total flirt move, too. I feel like, I mean, she wanted to know their age difference. But yeah, like, I think it was kind of flirty. Well, and their age difference, if I'm doing math correctly, the series is taking place in 2010. His license says 83. So he's 27. She has said she's 38. As is Jim. Remember Jim, Sarah? (laughs) So 11 years apart. How big of a deal do you think that is? In many ways, I don't think it's a big deal at all because they're both fully adults. You know, it's not like one of them is 17 or 16 years old. Then I would think that's a problem. But um, also one of them doesn't have like power over the other. It's not like one of them is the boss of the other, anything like that. So, yeah, I think it's totally fine. The only thing I think could be a problem with an age difference like that is maybe they would want different things out of life. You know, that's that's the only thing I think I'd worry about if somebody has kids in high school versus somebody who, you know, doesn't have a family or anything like that. Uh, But what about you? Do you think it's a big deal? Uh, Not really. I agree with your assessment. And in this particular instance, I think that the age difference is way less of an issue than the fact that he is her daughter's teacher. Yeah. But I don't think a 38-year... I don't think a hypothetical 38-year-old hypothetically dating a hypothetical (laughs) 27-year-old is hypothetically much of a problem. No, not at all. Not at all. And I think to me, it's more about like connection than age. And sometimes I think we mistakenly think that people who are like really similar to us in age are going to have a better connection, like they'll have more in common. I think sometimes that can be true. Like Mark and I sometimes will get all nostalgic and talk about things that were popular when we were kids. And that is a lot of fun. And um, that would be harder to do with somebody who is a lot older or younger. But my favorite couple, I talk about them sometimes. They're in my poetry group back in Pittsburgh, and there's a 27-year age difference between them, which is much bigger than this. And it's not an issue. Like, it's they, they just connect. They make each other laugh. They love each other so much. And they were adults when they got together, both of them. And they've been together almost 30 years. So they're really happy. Good for them. Yeah. Did you notice any character missing from this episode? Oh, man. Well, Jabbar, I noticed he wasn't in it. Oh, yeah. Um, But I guess, you know, he's recurring, um, which is madness. Um, No. Was Zeke not in it? Zeke. I didn't realize it until just now, though. Interesting. They had that big dinner at the house. He's not there. Max catches a ball at the final game and only Camille is in the stands. Wow. It does seem a little strange. You know, it's weird that I didn't even notice it because now that you say those moments, I'm like, he would have absolutely been there. Where was he? Doesn't even make sense. I kind of, I'm glad that they didn't give some dumb explanation as to why he's gone because I think it is less noticeable to just, you know, have him not be there. Yeah. But, huh. And my memory of parenthood, I don't know that it happens a lot, but there are so many characters. And my memory is that often they aren't all in every single episode. Yeah. And then certainly there are times when like one character is barely in the episode. Yeah. While we're talking about like interesting just observations like that, is there anything else that you're just kind of noticing about the show in general now that we are watching it so carefully and closely or or just, you know, what the benefit of five additional years down the road watching something, what that does to you? 
Uh, I don't know. I've got one. I think Joel is much funnier than I remembered him. I remembered him as being very bland, and I find myself chuckling a lot at things he says. So Yeah, like this episode when he said, oh, you're telling me exactly what to say so that I can convince you you're not a control freak? Yeah. I'm like, that's funny. That is funny. I, it's very low-key funny, but that's totally like my bread and butter. Well, and I... It's like, how did I not notice it before? I know. I, and I think that might be it. There are so many like really vibrant, dynamic characters on this show that of course you're going to notice that Crosby is funny like right away. But someone like Joel, it's much more understated. And um, yeah, I think maybe I'm picking up on nuances or something or just just observing this which i hadn't before yeah that's my main one well i was thinking about the title the situation yeah and wondering how that might have applied to everything that occurred in this episode and here's my best guess okay i thought maybe this episode is about accepting things the way that they are even if they're not how we wish they might be Mm. You know, that's, I think, the case with Adam and Max in this episode. He would have loved if the yogurt land thing was not an issue, but it was an issue. And he just has to accept that. Adam with Steve, you know, he clearly would love it if they had just broken up, but they got back together and he can't do anything about it. Crosby and Jasmine with the paternity test. I think they both ultimately arrive at like, yeah, it would be nice if we didn't have to do this, but we really should. Yeah. Crosby with Katie. Sarah with Drew and with Seth, you know, that of course she wishes he had a great father, but he doesn't. And that's the way things are. Sarah with Amber. Obviously, she doesn't want her to copy the paper, but she did. That's the kind of kid that she is. That's where she is right now. Julia with herself Mm. and that kind of control freak nature. Maybe she doesn't like that, but that's who she is. And then her trying to get Sydney Mm. to be the princess. And it felt like there were two little allusions in the episode to that subject. One is Raquel. We can't make our children into people they're not. And then one was Christina. It is what it is and there's nothing we can do about it. Now, I might be zeroing in on little platitudes, but it does strike me as like, oh, perhaps that's what this episode was about. Yeah, that's interesting because when Raquel said it, I thought she was really just being bitchy, like... Your daughter's a maid. My daughter's a princess. You know, we can't make them be anything other than that. Um, But maybe it is wiser than I gave it credit for, you know, because Sydney wasn't unhappy. It looked like um, inequity, I think, to Julia. You know, she thought it was just unfair, but maybe it was more complicated than that. Maybe um, she was wrong to... I don't know. Yeah, she wanted Sydney to want what she wanted. Yeah. Well, that's even too harsh. I think, like you said, she thought maybe it's not occurring to Sydney that she can be the queen. And I want her to know that it's okay for her to be the queen or to want to be the queen. But as it turns out, she doesn't want that. Yeah. And she's happy. I don't even want to be the princess. Oh, I know. And she cooped me. (laughs) That was really cute. But yeah, I don't know. That is a really interesting thing. And I think that might be part of what the whole show, Parenthood, not just this episode, is about. This this idea that people are who they are. And I know that maybe sounds so obvious, but... You know, we we had a conversation earlier this episode about it, how all the siblings are so different from each other, but so are their kids. And, you know, just right off the bat, when that parent stops um, 
Sarah and says, oh, I love your daughter, Hattie. And she has to explain, you know, you referenced that earlier, but, but it is interesting. His reaction is so <laughs> different when she's like, oh, my kid is Amber. And he's like, oh God, he almost looks scared. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it is this beautiful idea that perhaps this is a show about loving people, not for who you want them to be, but for who they are. I feel like that if I had to come up with a central theme for the whole show, that might be it. Um, people just learning to love each other for who they are, just kind of beautiful. That concept, you're right. It is very obvious in some ways. It's, I mean, it's not a, it's not an original idea, but I think it's one that is so hard to grapple with because it, maybe it's just human nature is always wishing for something different. But it reminds me of two specific sayings. One is my own dad's. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of insisting that things be some way other than the way they are is basically choosing to be unhappy. Wow. And then a different version of the same idea is from Julia Sweeney's show, Letting Go of God, where she says, every step of maturing in my life had the exact same common denominator. And that was accepting what was true over what I wished were true. Wow. And, oh, I mean... I think the whole world is kind of grappling with that right now in the midst of the coronavirus, or maybe I shouldn't say the whole world, the whole country, yeah. <laughs> our country, our country is just wishing that this wasn't an issue, which is a total, totally understandable, natural thing to wish. But as I've heard you say many times, wishing doesn't make it so. Yeah. Yeah. We have to accept reality the way it is rather than what we wish reality was. I, I feel that so much right now, you know, as a teacher, and there's a lot of pressure to go back. And uh, so I don't want to get off topic too much or anything. But that's part of why I've been saying that, yeah, wishing doesn't make it so over and over right now, because people keep saying we want normal, we want our kids to go back. And, and I'm like, it won't be normal. We'll all be wearing face masks, and it'll be hard to hear each other, understand each other. You're thinking of what school used to look like. And until the pandemic passes, that's not what this is going to be. And uh, yeah, I think I'm really glad you mentioned how pertinent these lessons are to us right now, because they they absolutely are. And it's interesting that a show, you know, we're watching episodes that are now like about 10 years old, feels so relevant right now. <laughs> and uh, that's that's kind of beautiful. There is something timeless, I think, about parenthood, something really... I just feel like it's going to comfort me anytime I revisit it, no matter when that is. If it's 50 years from now, I think I'm going to find it comforting. It's already, I think, aged pretty well. Yeah. Well, that's maybe a nice thing about a family show is that families and family issues are kind of timeless in a way. Yeah. There will always be families and they will always have issues. Yeah. <laughs> They'll always struggle to understand each other and to love each other just as they are. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for us on this episode of Parenthood Pals. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Parenthood Pals. And please like us on Facebook. And check out our website, parenthoodpals.com. <laughs> Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true. I love snorkeling. Did you do that? I did. Yeah. I don't like it.
I mean, I, I, you don't like snorkeling. Oh, no, no. Everybody likes snorkeling. Well, not everybody. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, I you, hate it so much. Yeah. What, what is the, about, what, what do you like about it? I just get scared. It's not my world under there, and and then I'm afraid. <laughs> I don't. It's not my world. It's not. Once... It's the Caribbean. It's not like you drove into a bad neighborhood. It's the. <laughs> no. Beautiful, I know, I know, but it's like beautiful, wa you know, water. No, I'm saying the beautiful water and the fish and. Right, but th that's not for me. Yeah. I don't belong there, or I could breathe and live yeah. under there, and I can't. I hate it so much. So everyone's jumping, and my husband, his sister, my son, everyone's jumping in, and they're swimming and swimming, and I'm trying to catch up, and I'm thinking I'm getting tired. And now there's water coming into the snorkel. And I uh -huh. thought, well, I'm going to drown. Yeah. So, because <laughs> I'm going to be so exhausted. And, and I just go, so I'm going to go back and yeah. like just hightail it out of there. So you get out of there. You and don't... then everyone comes back on like, oh, so did you see the blue fish? And there was a yellow fish. It's like, yeah, I saw, OK. A yellow fish, a blue fish. I can sit at home and watch Planet Earth. Wait a minute. Well, well, who cares? Well,